So, Psalm 137, hear God's word. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captives demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this Your Word. And because it is a psalm of imprecation, because it is a psalm that speaks about death and destruction, it gives us pause. But we thank You that in the end, it is Jesus Christ the Lord who spares us from final death and destruction. And so in these words, Father, we pray together that we might learn by Your grace to sing the Lord's song as we live in this foreign, fallen world. Bless us to this end, we pray, in the good name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. When I entered my first pastorate after coming out of the army, uh, it was in a little Orthodox Presbyterian church in uh, northeast Oklahoma. And uh, uh, the uh, rough wooden pulpit uh, there that uh, had been utilized uh, had a little plaque uh, that uh, uh, was affixed uh, on the front of the pulpit. And uh, it simply said, Sir... We would see Jesus. That little plaque got under my skin. As a young pastor, I had some lessons to learn. As a young pastor, I thought to myself, I don't want these people telling me what I ought to be preaching. I told that story... Uh, later uh, at uh, the seminary in a chapel service. And uh, I said to the students there and to the faculty that was there that I had since repented of that uh, idea and of that feeling. And that uh, I see that it is important that 
as people in the church, we should have as a priority to see Jesus. And I believe that with all my heart. Dr. Wayne Spear, who retired at the seminary after teaching there for 35 years, after that particular sermon came up to me and said, I'm glad, Denny, that you have repented of that earlier feeling. And that was a good thing. Our psalm portion this evening, although as we sang it, it's a sorrowful psalm, but it takes us to Jesus Christ. And it is a song that in the end helps us to see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we are able to joyfully sing the Lord's song in a fallen, sinful world. And that really turns out to be the lesson of this particular psalm. Let's look at it and see how uh, this lesson comes to the fore. Uh, We begin uh, simply in these first verses uh, by seeing the distress of the people of uh, Israel as they have been taken already into captivity. And you and I, in many respects, can resonate with the distress of the people. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion... Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps, for there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The people of Israel find themselves in Babylon. The rivers are the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. And they are there uh, in Babylon, uh, basically between those two rivers, in an area uh, that is crisscrossed with canals. And in those days, uh, in the days of uh, the height of Babylon, canals were dug uh, between those two rivers uh, so that trees and and, uh, other foliage could grow uh, in the area and uh, the land could produce some produce. And there the people were in the land of Babylon, far away from uh, Jerusalem, far away from the land of Judah. Uh, As the crow flies, they were about 500 miles uh, from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, But they had to uh, travel uh, around. They didn't go uh, straight across the desert. Uh, They traveled around the uh, Fertile Crescent. And uh, the journey was uh, some 900 miles that they uh, had to go. Uh, You can think of us walking, if you will, walking from Indianapolis to Boston. It would take us a few days to get there. And uh, it would be a rugged trip. But this is the journey that uh, the people of Israel uh, had to take. And uh, when the journey was over, they sat down. Uh, This is what the text tells us. uh, By the rivers, by uh, these canals. And they wept because... 
They had been taken out of their homes. They had left all of their earthly possessions behind. Their homes were far off and many of them were separated from their friends and many of their families had been separated. And there was nothing to do but weep. They were in deep grief because of what had taken place. And uh, there were willow trees. Uh, That's what the New American Standard Version says uh, in the area. Uh, They may not have been uh, willow trees. They may have been of another type. But when you read those uh, words, what do you think of? You think of weeping willows, don't you? And uh, those trees drooping their branches to the ground in uh, great sadness. Uh, This is uh, the posture that the people found uh, themselves in. And they hung their harps on uh, those trees. The harps being mentioned here are the harps of the Levitical priests. The harps that were used in the temple. The harps that were used in the singing of God's praise back in Jerusalem when the Levites gathered before uh, the sacrifices and sang the praises of God. And the people gathered in the temple to listen to the Levitical choirs. And they joined in uh, raising their voices to the great God of heaven. But now the harps separated from the temple, separated from the place of worship, separated from the place where those musical instruments were properly used. They were hung on the trees and they were silent. And the people wept. And the captors, the Babylonians, oh, they were, they were nice people. They were great people. Sing us a song. Why are you so sad? It uh, re- reminds me of a time when I was was a, was a, uh, a youngster and uh, my parents were having a great time in a party and uh, I was ensconced in my room by myself listening to all the laughter and, uh, and carrying on. And my dad uh, came back to my room and said, Denny, why aren't you happy? <laughs> I said, I don't know, Dad, but I'm not. <laughs> And I wasn't. So, uh, there are times when you're just sad, you're down, you're in despair. And uh, uh, this was the uh, uh, circumstance. Sing a song. Are you kidding? <laughs> Sing a song of joy. Uh, this is what the captors demanded. And they taunted uh, the Israelites. They, uh, uh, they tormented the Israelites. Uh, now, in the National Football League, it's kind of funny in a, in a way that uh, uh, if one player taunts another player, right, they run across the goal line and uh, they're uh, getting, uh, uh, making a touchdown and they, they point to the other player, ah, ha, ha, I got you. Uh, the flag comes out, that's a 15-yard penalty. Well, that doesn't help much. <laughs> When you're, when you're downcast and, uh, the tormentors are rageous. Sing us a so- one of the songs of Zion. And of course, the songs of Zion are the songs that God had inspired. And, uh, they're recorded in the book of Psalms. And, uh, they were gathered by King Hezekiah, uh, into a corpus uh, that 
uh, was to be utilized uh, through the generations and uh, through the ages, the songs of Zion. Sing us! Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Hence the question arises in verse 4. How? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How? Well, if you connect it all with the circumstances of the Israelites, you begin to understand the question. And to help you connect with the plight of the Israelites and the sense of the circumstances in which the Israelites found themselves, I call you as the people of God in this world to think of yourselves as the Apostle Paul puts it, and as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, as aliens and strangers in the world. Is this not what he says about the likes of you and me? That we are aliens and strangers in the world? How so? Your citizenship, friends, is in heaven. Correct? Is this not right? Your citizenship is in heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, as again the Apostle Paul puts it, you are ambassadors of heaven in an alien land. And so, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and King, as one who confesses that you are a part of His kingdom, His kingdom which is not of this world, correct? His kingdom which is not of this world, you and I are aliens in a foreign land. And it's no wonder that often as Christians in this world, you and I feel like displaced persons. (laughs) Shortly after getting out of the army, uh, I found that uh, I was a displaced person. Not only uh, because uh, I was a Christian, but I didn't have a job. And uh, I needed a job. <laughs> and uh, I had uh, employment people tell me, I don't care how much uh, experience you have had in the military, that doesn't mean anything to me. You can cross all of that off the list. You don't have experience in specific uh, uh, jobs. It means nothing to me. So, on your way. I can't help you. The feeling of a displaced person. And I finally wound up uh, taking a job at minimum wage in a printing plant. 
a plant that printed a Time magazine on a on a big four color web press. It was quite a quite a deal. And I remember. It's interesting the things that you remember, even from years and years ago. I remember very well being. Uh, uh, about two and a half stories up in the air on the top of this web press doing some cleaning in an off time while the rest of the crew was down on the uh, uh, printing floor at a desk uh, looking at Playboy magazine. Displaced persons. That's what we are in many ways. We're aliens in a foreign land. And how do you sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I'm I'm guessing, friends, that that question, either directly or indirectly, has come into your heart more than once because of the pressures of life as we live in this fallen world. And the psalm goes on to give us an indication of how it is we can sing the Lord's song in this foreign land. And the first thing you and I need to do is to remember our true homeland. Verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, my right hand, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Here the people of Israel were in this foreign land, in Babylon, far away from Jerusalem. And... Uh, the only way they could possibly contemplate singing the Lord's song in this foreign land was to remember their homeland, to remember Jerusalem, to remember the glories of the city when the people would gather in the temple and worship, when the pilgrimages would be made from all parts of the land to Jerusalem to worship the great God of heaven. This is the idea of the text. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May If I forget you, Jerusalem, there's no sense in worship. And so... Let my right hand forget the skill that it has to play the harp. And if I forget you, O Jerusalem, uh, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth mm, 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 so that I, I can't uh, even speak, let alone sing. If I forget you, my chief joy, if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem. And the words at the end of verse 6 are striking. Above my chief joy. Uh, Of course, the connection here is now a connection with heaven. What was Jerusalem to represent? 
Jerusalem was, uh, in its earthly state, the place of the temple, the place of the most holy place, the throne room of God, the earthly throne room of God, which is reflective of heaven and the great throne room of the living God. And so, in the New Testament, uh, we speak of the New Jerusalem, which points us to heaven. The New Jerusalem. And uh, the idea in the psalm then is that as the Old Testament people of Israel were to remember their homeland, you and I are to remember our true homeland. You and I are to contemplate heaven. You and I are to remember that we are aliens and strangers in the world and that our real homeland is heaven above. And we are to keep our minds on Christ, correct? Who is seated above at the right hand of the Father. This is what you and I are to do. How how can we, as God's people, press down in so many respects by the forces around us in the world sing the Lord's song in this foreign land? You and I must remember heaven and always have an eye on heaven. And then the psalmist goes on to continue to answer this question. Verses 7 and 8. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. The Edomites were children of Esau. And you remember that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of red bean soup. (laughs) And the Edomites, the children of Esau, always resented their brothers, Israel. And when the Babylonians came and the Babylonian hordes swooped down upon Judah and Jerusalem, The Edomites who lived uh, southeast of uh, Judah and Jerusalem in the mountains, from their perches on the crags and on in the mountains, they looked down on Jerusalem like vultures. And when the Babylonians came, they cheered, raise it, raise it, destroy it. That was their perspective. And after the Babylonians did their dirty work. The Edomites went down into the city and looted 
as much of the property that was left behind and carted it off. And so the song is an imprecation, a call for justice. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundations. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites thought and what they did and bring against them Your hand of judgment. And then the psalm goes on, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. The whole idea was that a debt had been paid when the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah and Jerusalem. The Babylonians were the hand of God's judgment against the sin of Jerusalem and Judea. The prophet Habakkuk cried out to God, seeing seeing all the sin and debauchery in Jerusalem by not only the common people, but also the hierarchy and the priests. And Habakkuk cried out to God, How long are you going to wait, Lord? Are you not going to judge the evil in this land? And God said to Habakkuk, Yes, be patient. I'm going to bring the Babylonians along. And the Babylonians will be the hand of my judgment against the sin of Judah and Jerusalem. And Habakkuk, Uh, said, wait a minute, Lord, time out. (laughs) Time out. The Babylonians are much more unrighteous than uh, those who are in Judah and in Jerusalem. You're going to bring a nation which is much more unrighteous and uh, you're going to use that nation as the hand of your judgment against Judah and Jerusalem? And God said to Habakkuk, it's okay. Just wait. I'm going to judge the Babylonians too. Be patient. Trust me. Trust me. And this is the idea, you see, in this passage. How blessed will be the one who repays you, Babylon, with the recompense with which you have repaid us. And later... The Persians came along and overthrew the Babylonian Empire. Well, what are we to make of all this judgment? It's a reflection, friends, of the judgments of hell. The little judgments that we see in this world, I call them little. In many respects, they're not little, but in comparison, they are. These judgments are a reflection of the final and ultimate judgment of hell. How can you sing the Lord's song 
in a foreign land. You remember heaven and you contemplate the judgments of hell. It's very striking that in chapter 66 of the book of Isaiah, there's a picture given of the saints of God coming, as it were, to the precipice of heaven and being able to look over the edge and look down into the pits of hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And why, you ask, could that even be contemplated or possible? It's contemplated and it's possible. Because when the saints of God observe the judgments of hell, they can say two things. One, God will always make things right in the end. His judgments are sure. And we can always count on that truth. And secondly, we can say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Praise be unto God for deliverance, which is so great. How can you sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Remember heaven. Contemplate hell. And center on Jesus Christ the Lord. Verse 9. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Some would not even want to read this psalm, let alone sing it, <laughs> because of this particular text. It conjures up in our minds such horror. Blessed be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against a rock. This is a beatitude. This is very striking. Actually, this is the second beatitude that we've read. The first one is in the second part of verse 8. How blessed will be the one who repays you. And then we have, How blessed, happy will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. It seems horrid from our perspective in the 21st century in the United States of America. But looking at this historically, this was an historical fact. 
when the people of Israel were charged by God to enter the promised land, what were they told to do? They were told to exterminate the people of that horrid land. They were to kill men and women and young people and children by the command of God. And the idea was that there would be no posterity of evil left in the land. That was part of the idea. And of course, this was a part of the procedure across the Middle East in that day. And there are tokens of this kind of activity sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. The Assyrians, uh, for example, when they came into the northern kingdom of Israel, what did they do? They not only took many men and women captive and sprinkled them around the Middle East, but they killed men and women and children. This is what they did. This is what the procedure was. And it's hard for us to reckon with that. But I suggest to you that you take a step back just for a moment and think about the great God of heaven who brought His little one, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. And Herod, of course, after the birth of Jesus, sent his troops to Bethlehem to kill all of the little ones, two years old and younger. And in the providence of God, Our Lord Jesus escaped that slaughter. And He grew to manhood, living a perfect life, with the intent of going to Jerusalem, with the intent of going to the cross. And on the rock of Golgotha, the great God of heaven dashed His little one against that rock for the purpose of of saving the likes of you and me. How can you sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Remember heaven. Contemplate hell. And center on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so the psalm takes us from weeping to joy.
from weeping about our own condition to focusing on Jesus and centering on Him and to joy in Jesus. Remember heaven. Contemplate hell. Center on Jesus. And in this world, and in this life, you will be able to sing the Lord's song. Let's pray. Father, thank You that this is the case. You're good to us in every respect. And we thank You for the verities of heaven. We thank You, Father, also for the awful judgments of hell and the grace that spares us from those judgments. And we thank You for Jesus Christ, Your little one, whom You were pleased to dash against the rock of Golgotha for us. Thank you. Thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.